Hi, TYB on the run. Welcome to Romans 3. Let's jump in. Let me read this over you again. These are Bible blasts in your car, wherever you are, doing your shopping. I don't know. But we want to get the Bible and the Word of God read over you and encourage to encourage you today. So Romans 3, what advantage then is there in being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar. As it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that was so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have t- together become worthless. There is no one who is who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. What an incredible chapter, isn't it? There's so many key words here, righteousness, justification, and it's like atonement. I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, the the language of the Bible is hard to wrestle with, right? But as we go through Romans, you've got to remember Romans 1 and 2 is talking about the division in the church, the Jews hating the Gentiles and the Gentiles hating the Jews and the Jews saying to the Gentiles, you have to be circumcised and and keep all the law and and follow Torah and we have to be a Jewish-based 
uh, congregation or church. And the Gentiles are like, no, we don't. We don't have to do those things. And Paul in chapter three equalizes them both. In remembering one and two, he kind of goes after one and says, you are immoral. Your idolatry is immoral. You, you're in sexual sin and an immorality. And then in two, he sort of says, hey, Jews, don't think you're all got it all together. You guys are religious. And we kind of got these incredible um, look at what life in license looks like. Do you know what I mean? Like in this complete license to do whatever I want. And then in the second chapter, we look at, you know, life under under almost um, overbearing, religious. It's, it's got this sense of um, this religious nature to it. And uh, there's no liberty within that. And he kind of balances the two and he says, I don't want you to live in license. I don't want you to live in this in this in this um, religious spirit. What I want you to live is to know this: that you are both sinners saved by grace, and you both need salvation. You know this great equalizer when you realize that that the need in in humanity is all the same, and it equalizes everybody on the same level. You, there's no boasting in this because we are all sinners saved by grace. And I love it here where he says. What advantage then is there being in a Jew or what value is there in circumcision? And he actually questions the whole issue and he says, guys, there's no advantage in having circumcision or being born a Jew or these elite things that make you better than somebody else. And what would we look at that today? We would look at, you know, there's no advantage of being super wealthy or in the, you know, billionaires club because we are all sinners saved by grace. The person who's living in, you know, housing commission is the same as the person who's living in the mansion down the street. There's this beautiful equality to Christianity, and I love that about Christianity. When we come into church, we are all sinners saved by grace. Now, I know some people have a bit of an issue with that. I've heard some people say, you know, I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm, you know, I'm completely redeemed and my sin has been washed away. I am new creation under Christ, and I understand that language. But there is a beautiful essence of humility, recognizing on a daily basis, and I recognize it on a daily basis that that I still need Jesus, and I'm still on my knees, and I'm still, um, you know, humble enough to say I am a sinner saved by grace throughout my whole life. I am empowered to be more, and I'm not going to remain on my knees in repentance all the time. I'm in repentance because I'm, and then I take that repentance, and I am empowered to do great things with that, and be that new creature or new, new creation in Christ. I understand that, but just a little theological issue, guys. Don't be ashamed to be a sinner saved by grace. <laughs> Because that keeps us on our knees and humble before God. And if you live in my brain, you would realize that we are sinners and we're trying constantly to renew our mind, trying constantly in repentance to not out of works. And this is what Paul's saying here. It's not out of works that you have this idea of being a sinner saved by grace. It's because of humility. It's because you you know the freedom in knowing that. And then he keeps going, I love this. What if some were unfaithful? Now, can I say, I love this unpackage because we're going to get to Romans 9 to 11 and it's going to be quite incredible when we talk about Israel's unfaithfulness. And I've heard some Christians, and I'm, I'm going to address this, I've heard some Christians say, you know, they were unfaithful and they got wiped out of the picture and Christians are the new church. And that is just so arrogant. I'm so sorry. That is the Jew and Gentile of our generation. <laughs> you know, Jews, we don't need you anymore and we are the Gentiles that are going to take, take the church on. And this is what Romans is addressing here, this very arrogant, of somebody to say that that we they didn't do it right and we are the the Christians that that are doing the you know the next thing for Christ and be very careful with that arrogance guys because that's not scriptural he says here I love this he says um so first of all the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God we've got to remember that the 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 Israel 
and the Jews were entrusted with the scripture. Israel's scripture is our Old Testament. They're entrusted with the prophets, with the very words of God that we stand upon. And we need to, and Paul's saying, hey guys, Gentiles, don't get too arrogant here because remember the Jews, are the very foundation upon which you stand. And we're going to talk about that in Romans 9 to 11. And he says, what if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Imagine saying, because some Christians got it wrong, that God just wiped and said, look, I'm done with Christians, I'm out. But we say that all the time about Jews. I don't know about you. I hear it all the time in teaching. Um, you know, they were unfaithful, so they got wiped out. That makes God a very bad God. <laughs> it makes God go, well, I saw some of them. And I know most of you know the nation, we can see the ups and downs of that nation, but that remnant was still faithful. And God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. Don't preach that and don't get that essence in your Christianity, that if you do one or two things wrong, it's like the Jews, he's just going to let you go. No, God was faithful throughout the whole Old Testament. And Paul's saying it here, he's saying, hey, hang on a second. Don't think God wiped them out just because they were unfaithful. Some of them were unfaithful. God was still faithful. And it says, let God be true and every human being a liar. And then he goes on, but if you are unrighteous, um, but if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust. And he does this incredible wrestle with, you know, is God unjust because he, he declared boundaries around our life and then when we couldn't fulfill those boundaries he punished us because some people think that you know the god of god's wrath you know came down upon us but we didn't actually impose that wrath it was his it was his punishment for sin and his punishment and his conditions of sin so it's like saying i'm going to punish you for sin but i'm not going to empower you to overcome that sin but then i'm going to punish you for it and paul addresses that big can you hear the meaty issues that he's addressing here and he says that God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us. And I love it. He's like, I'm using a human argument here because I disagree with it. He says, certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? He's saying, well, if my um, if my sin shows God faithful and increases his glory, then why am I condemned? He's saying, why not say, as some slanderously claim, that we say, let us do evil that good may result. <laughs> He's like saying, you know, I'm going to sin so that God comes out better because he forgives my sins. It's ridiculous. And I love where Paul says, You've, you know, you slanderously claim that that's what we say. And he says, their condemnation is just, meaning we don't say that. And then he answers it. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. He's saying, look, the, and then he keeps going. I'm going to keep going. He says, we're all under the power of sin. And then this beautiful, incredible text, which is just this reference text of what does this look like? What What is this sin? that that? Um, and it says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. And he kind of goes through this incredible moment of these reference texts of their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. He's talking about our humanity. He's talking about our need for Christ. And I know sometimes people don't read Romans because they're like, oh, you know, Paul's so judgmental and he talks about that I'm a sinner and I'm I'm in new creation and I understand that. But there is there is an honesty in Romans to say that we need Christ. I don't know about you. Every morning I wake up and I realize that I genuinely need Christ. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. He's saying, guys, 
you're not going to be declared right by doing this stuff. You're not going to be declared right by the by the works of the law, by by circumcision, by attending the festivals, by the food, by ceremonial washing. All of these things do not declare you righteous. He says, rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sins. Can I say, there's this thing in Christianity today that the Old Testament is irrelevant to us because we are no longer under that, where there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And when I read the Old Testament, I feel condemned and, and you know, there's no longer, and I'm not under the works of the law, I'm under grace, so therefore I don't need the Old Testament. Can I say that's very wrong? Because the Old Testament isn't showing um, just just the, pen, the, the works of the law that we are now no longer under. It's not just showing sacrifice. It's not just showing all these things that Christ fulfilled. What it is showing us, though, is our separation from God without Christ. What it is showing us, and Paul says it here, rather through the law, so through the through this, what what we the boundaries, we become conscious of our sin. If I don't know that the law says to stop at a red light and to go at a green light, I'm just going to be oblivious to that and drive and cause car accidents. Why? Because the law that we have in Australia, or we have wherever you are tells me what is right and wrong. It's the same with the with the Old Testament. It tells me what is right and wrong according to God. It tells me what separates me from his holiness. It shows me the boundaries to which I live my life. And without understanding boundaries, we don't understand the limitations between right and wrong. Does that make sense, guys? So it, Paul's saying, guys, don't throw out the works of the law because we're going to have a chat about that in the, in the next coming chapters. He says, I'm not saying throw out the Old Testament. That's ridiculous. These beautiful scriptures, because he just a couple of verses before said they were entrusted with the very words of God. He kind of puts the words of God on a pinnacle and says they were entrusted with the with the prophets. And, and, and he said, what I'm about to show you is fulfilled in the prophets. And he goes again, we're about to jump into the law and the prophets testify to what Christ is about to do. But he says the Old Testament shows us how separated we are from God. And I love reading the Old Testament, not because I, you know, I'm a sadist. I love reading it because God is faithful throughout the whole thing. And there's this essence of knowing my boundaries, knowing that when those priests went into that temple in the Old Testament, God's holiness could was was so evident, was so pinnacle in that beautiful temple that some of them would drop down dead. It, it was this essence of holiness. Isaiah has a revelation of a holy God, and it's not until I get that revelation of a holy God that I'm going to use it as a boundary marker to correct my behavior. And that's what he's saying. And now we jump into the great scripture in Romans 3. Are you ready? It's a little confusing. Can I say, when you read it, I'm going to read it again because sometimes the big words make it so confusing. I'm going to try and bring those words down a bit. The word righteousness pretty much means in certain sections um, the right standing before God. But in other sections, it means God's righteousness. You can't have God's right standing before God. So you would have to say that that terminology of righteousness means his faithfulness, that God is just, he is upright, he is faithful, he he lives a life of integrity. So I'm going to change that. It says, but now apart from the law, so he's saying this righteousness of God, I'm going to separate it from the law. The righteousness or the faithfulness of God has been made known. The faithfulness of God has been made known to to which the law and the prophets testify. Why is he saying that? Because he's saying, guys, this is a new thing and this is what I'm very passionate about. This Christianity isn't a new thing. The law and the prophets spoke of this generations ago. This this, uh, Christianity has what we call antiquity because in that Greco-Roman or in that philosophical age, even in the Jewish age, Um, understanding. You had to have antiquity. What was old was best. 
And I know now what's new and the new latest trend is now best, but that's not that's not the Bible um, culture. You have to have an antiquity to your to your thinking, a generational antiquity. And that's why Paul throughout Romans is going to bring up this law and the prophets testify it. Christianity and Christ coming as the Messiah isn't new. It is based in this beautiful essence of a solid foundation of the of the Israel scriptures. And he says this, this righteousness is given through faith or belief in Jesus Christ to all who believe. He's saying the righteousness isn't obtained by you doing all the Torah and, and circumcision and works of the law. He's saying the righteousness, the right standing before God is given to everybody. And the only condition to this is belief in Jesus Christ. Oh, my gosh, that is. And I'm, we're going to talk about that. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody is fallen short of God. And he says, and, but all are made right freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. What Christ did on that cross redeemed us, changed us from somebody who was separated from God, somebody who could not go near God's holiness. And just because we, as we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we get this incredible transference that we are justified freely by his what? His grace. It's not about works. It's not about attending church. It's not about how many times you attend church. It's not about how many times you read your Bible. None of those things are, are conditional on your salvation. Your salvation is through belief in Jesus Christ alone. But out of that grace and out of that thankful heart of being saved and made right with God, we do good works. So let's keep going. I love this. Um, and all are justified. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. What does that mean? He, he, he had to, his blood had to atone, had to wash us of our sin through the shedding of his blood to be received. How? By faith. How many times can Paul say that this incredible moment of the cross is received by faith? It's not received by works. It's received by you just simply believing in Jesus. Today, if your obstacle is the church, that you don't want to get saved because the church is an issue. Maybe it's attending Sunday, every church, Sunday service. It's doing this. It's, it's the conditions of Christianity. That is not part of your salvation. You can simply say, you know what, Jesus, I'm hearing Katie right now and I accept you as my Lord and Savior and you will be saved. That salvation process is received by grace because why Christ died on the cross for your sins so that you would receive it. Why? How? Just simply by believing in him. It is a beautiful, simplistic gospel. And then unfortunately as Christians, what we do is we add to it. But here, Paul is saying it's a simplistic gospel. It is saved by grace through belief in Christ alone. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness or his faithfulness. Because in his knowledge, he had left the sins beforehand unpunished. So God's looking down and he's like, you know what? I've left all these sins unpunished. So what I need to do is actually get those atoned for. So he, he did it to demonstrate his faithfulness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. What he's saying is this. He's saying your God is faithful. And your God looked down on creation and on history and said, I need to send my son because the boundary markers that I showed them showed them their sin. The Old Testament boundary markers showed them that we were separated, but I always had an answer. In Genesis, I always had Jesus to redeem the situation. Let's keep going. Where then is boasting? He's basically saying if we're all saved by grace and we all get saved by simply believing, where then is their boasting? Um, it's excluded. You can't boast. Um, he says because of what law? 
The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. This beautiful parallel of believing versus your works. You do not earn your salvation. Christians, can I say that again? You do not attend church. You do not serve in church That to, to earn your salvation. Your salvation is secure. Why? Because you just believed by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone that he was your Lord and Savior and you believed what he did on the cross and that's it. Your salvation going to heaven is secure. It's what you do with that that is the discipleship process of Christianity. Let's keep going. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. What he's saying is Christ is a complete fulfillment of the law. We don't nullify the Old Testament. We can see how it is actually upheld by Christ's life. Now, I'm going to finish on this, guys. I'm so, this is such a meaty chapter. Can you feel the meat in this chapter? You're kind of chewing on every, maybe go home if you have time and kind of restudy it. But without Romans, Christianity would look very different. Without Romans, we wouldn't realize that there is no levels in Christianity, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, rich, poor, whatever boundary markers you put on on Christianity or whatever levels you put within Christianity today, there is none. And I love this essence that we are saved by grace. Christ came as a sacrifice of atonement that everybody can who believes in him can be saved. Beautiful scripture. I can't wait to jump into Romans 4 with you.